Hi, this is Jesse Keller. Welcome to Lakeland Emergency Medicine Podcast. Today I've got my friend, Dr. Long. Dr. Long, thanks for being on the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So what are we going to tackle today? We're going to talk about our general approach to abdominal pain. We've been fighting with this topic. It's a difficult topic. Yeah, I would say so. This is this can be a very broad topic, so kind of breaking this down into um, smaller topics and the location um, will hopefully be beneficial. So this is just a real short and not a deep dive. This is a, this is a shallow dive. <laughs> shallow dive. <laughs> and More of a, not even a dive. You shouldn't dive if it's shallow. <laughs> that, that, that's good. Like dip Superficial dip dipping. In. This is yeah. a dip. Not a deep no. dive. It's a dip. Yeah. All right. All right. And um, so let's, let's begin here with um, what you do when you're sitting down. Okay. First thing that I like to do, I look at their vital signs. You know, you see that patient that pops up with abdominal pain, then I'm going to click over to the vital signs and kind of see what we're dealing with. And that will show you whether they're tachycardic, are they hypotensive, um, are they febrile? I think those are probably the big things that I'm looking for in abdominal pain. And then I like to go to the story. I'd say if I I have a chance to see what they've told the triage nurse, if I have enough time to look at that, um, then that can help me to see what they're concerned about um, or, or what they've relayed to other people. And then... I head into the room and start talking to the patient. The questions that I ask them, it's really like, where is your pain located? Um, How long has it been there? Um, Is there any things that make it better or worse? And have you had similar symptoms to this previously? I think those are the big ones that I'm looking for. So in other words, you you really start by, like we do with all things, you know, what are the the time dependent killers? Is this an elderly person with epigastric pain that you've got to rule out a STEMI? Is this a young female who's tachycardic that you need to quickly maybe go in with your ultrasound to make sure she's not a ruptured ectopic? So I think think even with abdominal pain, you don't want to be too relaxed. Mm -hmm. Oh, most definitely. I think with, yeah, that's, it can be one of the more serious diagnoses. The thing is, it's such a common presentation that you want to be able to um, work these patients up in a timely manner, but there's also a lot of pitfalls or things that you could potentially miss with abdominal pain. And so you want to be thorough, but also efficient. Burning epigastric pain in a young patient, what do you do? So if I get that patient that has a great story for reflux where they've got the burning epigastric pain, not too intense, but just a burning pain that kind of radiates into their chest and and they can have that acidy taste in the back of their mouth and they feel like it's uh, a gastritis and then I look at them, their vital signs look good their belly is pretty benign when i push on it not not too tender at all and it's you know a great story like it happened in the middle of the night or woke them up and um, it's been going on for a little while and this is worse then i do kind of a stepwise approach to treatment i think i start with a gi cocktail something that they can that ideally would help their symptoms first uh, or, or quickly and then sometimes i throw in some it depending on whether we're starting an iv or not i would throw in some iv medication maybe an h2 blocker or something that's going to work more quickly you know ppis are maybe something that you would start somebody on but as an acute treat as an an acute treatment i don't feel like it um, does too much to help their acute symptoms so i do kind of a stepwise approach and then i look for a response too so if they're responding to that appropriately i may be able to stop and and if they're not responding appropriately then is where i would kind of move on to labs and i would probably consider other things as whether they is this more of a cholecystitis and uh and do i need to look deeper into this issue. I will have, I I will say that there was, I had this one attending um, in residency who had a 29 year old with a great story for for gastritis and he, so he treated them, they improved and he sent them home and it ended up being aortic dissection. And that kind of 
Um, so seeing him go through that process, that kind of did affect some of the way I worked this up because I, I do like to get imaging and a chest x-ray. And I know it's not the end all be all for an aortic dissection, but I feel like it will catch something big and at least I looked. So I do like to get some imaging in some of these, even just a chest x-ray to make sure there's no free air under the diaphragm and make sure they don't have a wide mediastinum. And and again, that's, that's some of my bias based on um, based on what I've seen. But. Which I think is why abdominal pain is so different because we all have different things that we do for, for different patients. What, what do you do with the right upper quadrant pain? Okay, so I think there's some overlap here, epigastric to right upper quadrant pain. And um, and so in those, I would consider a, a cholecystitis, hepatitis. Um, you gotta throw in, I think, small bowel obstruction because that can um, cause upper abdominal pain as well, and then pancreatitis. And so with those, I'm way more likely to get labs, um, and, and I will, which would be a, um, a CBC, a metabolic panel to include electrolytes and then LFTs um, and a lipase. Um, and, and so there I'm trying to differentiate between the, the common causes that were there. I think you gotta look at, and then, and then imaging. So what I'm thinking about in imaging, I do think um, that some of these are appropriate for bedside ultrasound to look at their gallbladder. Um, and then I think based on kind of where you are, you also have to consider a, a um, radiology ultrasound um, for gallbladder and then look for, um, how they respond and their lab work and everything needs to kind of fit together. So, and what I'm looking for there is, I still do kind of a stepwise approach to these people. Sometimes I will just give them a GI cocktail um, to see if that helps. If that doesn't help, um, and, I, and I think it's their gallbladder, I think bentol or robinol, something to decrease that um, gallbladder spasm um, can also help. And then you're moving on to more nausea medication and just generalized pain medication. I feel like if you go um, if you if you think it's our gallbladder and you go first to just general pain medication, you can be just kind of covering it up. And I'm not saying that I always take a stepwise approach, but I, I do try to, I feel like it helps with my diagnosis and um, it helps with my diagnosis to get there. I feel like I kind of do a stepwise approach to their treatment because if, it, if different things work, so if the GI cocktail works, I'm more likely to think, that, and then all the labs look good, imaging looks good, then I'm gonna think, well, maybe this is just more gastritis. If the um, bentol and the robinol, um, potentially, or, or the robinol work, and it's more of a spasm, then, and there's no signs of acute gallbladder infection, well, then that is that does help with the, the pain that would be associated with biliary colic, and so that helps support my diagnosis if I get, again, the imaging and the lab work looks okay um, as, far as, as far as our gallbladder. Um, and, and then if we're in, in a lot of those gallbladders, I mean, they do need um, general pain medication. So I'm not saying that I stop there, that eliminates that as a diagnosis, but I think the stepwise approach to treatment can help. Um, and then I'm looking at lab values. And so if their LFTs are elevated and their um, bilirubin's elevated and look at the ultrasound and they have fluid around the gallbladder, an inflamed gallbladder wall or um, common bile duct dilation, gallstones, like it fits a cholecystitis, everybody elevated white blood cell count then I'm moving on to um, calling surgery asking if they want antibiotics these people probably need to go to surgery sooner rather than later um, if all of those if we stay on the subject of the gallbladder um, if I look and their labs are 
it looks like it has localized by treatment and exam. It's localized the right upper quadrant. It improves my pain, nausea medication. Uh, I don't find other lab abnormalities. Their LFTs, their bilirubin look okay. Um, it's not, their lipase is not elevated. I don't have another diagnosis. Um, they, their story is good for a biliary colic. Then I think it's appropriate, if, and your imaging is uh, not suggestive of an acute cholecystitis, then I think it's appropriate to have them follow up with surgery. Um, and then if the, um, if the lipase is elevated, pancreatitis would be my diagnosis. And, um, and general, um, depending on the level of, uh, pancreatitis, you know, and the chronicity of their pancreatitis, then I would consider, um, admitting to the hospital or some patient, some patients that you could select could go home, um, with a pancreatitis, but that's, a, but you got to select the right people. So, so pancreatitis is always a good question because do you lean more on ultrasound for imaging as your first test? Do you, you know, go straight to CT scan or what, what do you do to kind of gauge your imaging for pancreatitis, at least in general? So I don't feel like there are excellent guidelines for this. Um, I feel like it's more of um, what consultants ask for is kind of what I um, kind of, um, I don't think there is a consensus across the board of what they do. Now bedside imaging, um, I don't see this talked about that there's a lot of ER doctors that are imaging pancreatitis. Um, I think it's something we probably could do, but I just don't think it's a big part of our practice as of yet. We'll probably move there at some point because it is ultrasoundable. And, um, and so we could, but I, I, at this point, um, I don't look at it and I haven't been trained to look at it and, and maybe we'll get there at some point. Um, I guess what I what I do is if if it's if it's somebody who's had pancreatitis before, if I can easily identify what triggered the pancreatitis, I don't always look for an imaging or, or the need to imaging. Um, if it's a first time pancreatitis or I don't understand the story, I always get an ultrasound. I think to start with to rule out um, you know any kind of obstructive process contributing to it. Um, but I don't always image every pancreatitis, which I think that's the the most important thing. Um, yeah, I don't know about your. Practice. It kind of depends on the. Right, I agree with the story and and how often it happens. I I do feel like there is, um, there probably needs to be some imaging um, at some point. I'm not sure that needs to be done in the emergency department. Um, and I try to get a radiology ultrasound um, if I can. That's what I would like to. So if I'm going to admit these people, I try to have it be an ultrasound. I would rather spare these people a CAT scan. Again, if everything lines up yeah. and I don't feel like they need a, a CT for another reason, then I would like to spare the radiation. You know, what are the things that we miss, you know, because we're thinking about gastritis, we're thinking about the gallbladder, mm -hmm. we're thinking about the pancreas. What are some of the things that um, within our workup or our standard, you know, either ultrasound, you know, abdominal labs, CBC, CMP, lipase, um, plus minus the CBC, depending on the, the patient and the attending preference. Mm -hmm. But what, what are some of the things that you think that we could potentially miss when we're just kind of lasering in? I think the big things would be like an, a AAA or an aortic dissection. I, you know, those are more likely in, you have your obese males over 50, you know, like um, they're more likely with older age. And so hopefully we wouldn't miss those because the older people can have more things and and we're probably going to get a CAT scan and you would hope their pain, they would look different um, and there would be something that would, they're hypertensive, you know, you'd be something that would tip you off there. But I think that would be the, the big thing that could look like something else. And, and especially in the younger patient where you could be distracted and think that it was uh, another condition that that's um, another condition rather than those, I would say.
if you if you're not finding the things that make sense to you, I think it's mm. important to realize that there's other things that could be going on, right? Um, is this a right lower lobe pneumonia? Is, yes. Yeah. Is this is this actually more actually am I am I narrowing the gallbladder? But is this more like right flank pain? You know, am I actually thinking you know is this a kidney stone? Is this a pyelonephritis that I'm potentially missing? Well, yeah, MI and pneumonia, two of the things that are just right above the diaphragm that could be on the diaphragm that are radiating pain and, and appear like upper abdominal pain are actually. Um, in the chest, yeah. yeah, definitely could be confusing. We've all had the story of the right upper quadrant pain. We do an ultrasound, we see fluid, then we realize we've got a young female. Wait, do we get a pregnancy test? Turns out to be an ectopic. So I think you, you wanna make sure that if things don't point to it and you don't find the gallstones that you thought you were gonna see, you don't get relief with the GI cocktail or things aren't perfectly lining up that you, mm -hmm. you don't just do that premature closure. Sure. So now we've kind of talked about epigastric, the GERD kind of pain. We've talked about um, right upper quadrant pain. Um, let's just real quick go over just diffuse upper abdominal pain that doesn't really fit GERD, that's just kind of vague and, and, and maybe we can do young and old and, and female versus male, but let's just do upper abdominal pain in general as far as our differential because it does get wide. Let's, uh, let's, what are some of your approaches? Um, so I would consider, again, these ones where it seems like pretty intense and just mid upper abdomen. Um, I think pancreatitis, um, small bowel obstruction, triple A. Again, you can separate out some of these, I think with the, with age, you know, your super young patients probably aren't going to have a triple A. Um, but the, and then if they've had multiple surgeries, I think, and, and they've been constipated or haven't had a bowel movement in a couple days, they have a distended abdomen, I think you throw in more um, an obstruction type picture. Um, if they've had a history of pancreatitis, is this a chronic thing? Or they've had something where they, they just drank all, they binge drink and they, um, I just had one the other day, just a young patient just goes out and binge drinks and then gets pancreatitis, um, which would be a common scenario. Um, and... And then those things that, so there are those things that would be out of the ordinary when you talk about like an ectopic and, um, and so your young pregnant female that would have diffuse abdominal pain, um, would make you think more, uh, more serious issues, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, and I think that again, the MI question always comes mm -hmm. up with epigastric yeah. pain. Um, so, I mean, I have a low threshold for throwing on an EKG on a lot of these patients. I do too, yeah. I don't say I always get a, you know, cardiac enzymes unless I have something else in their history that made me worry about. But mm -hmm. if I'm, if I'm at all questioning myself, an EKG is not going to hurt this patient. Right, right. I, I wouldn't say I do it on a lot of 19 year olds, but then again, there's some 19 year olds like that have. it younger and yeah. younger that I start have getting those. And when i when they get into their thirties, even now I'm, I'm more likely to get an EKG. Than I was. Now let's shift gears. Let's let's shift to lower abdominal pain. Um, let's go with our standard, you know, twenty-year-old person with right lower quadrant pain. What what do you do when you walk in the room? What are, what what goes through your head? What's your approach? I think the important thing to think about ahead of time is you, you're always locked in on appendicitis, and so to um, to to broaden your differentials in right lower quadrant pain is sometimes the challenge because you're like I, this person has to be appendicitis, and appendicitis is sure common. So um, so I'm not saying you should just rule out that diagnosis, but I think you got to challenge yourself to to keep your differential broad in this patient. So if we're talking about the young male that has uh, comes in with right lower quadrant pain, maybe it started around their belly button, now it's working towards the uh, the right and that McBurney's point, um, they've started to develop a fever 
fever, they've been vomiting overnight, and then they come in to see you, and, they, um, and they're very tender in that right lower quadrant. So if we're talking about where we're headed straight to uh, appendicitis, I still think you gotta consider some other things. So maybe is that a urinary tract infection, even pilo on that side, kidney stone, I think would be my differential in the males. Um, the exam, with, yeah, the GU exam. The GU exam. You gotta always, check the junk. You unfortunately you do. Yeah, most definitely. And we've all been burned before by when we're going fast. You know, torsions present with right lower quadrant pain. Um, you know, you've got to do your a thorough exam. It's not something you want to do when you're going fast. Um, sometimes, you know, I've had residents they don't, you know, actually examine the abdomen. So back to basics. <laughs> back to basics. Yes, you do need to to check the testicles, and it doesn't need to. Yeah, you do need to check. And and, and so you know, where we have the male patient, we have the appy, we have the torsions, we have the kidney stone possibilities. Um, let's switch over to the younger female with right lower quadrant pain. What goes through our head then? So I think you have to add in, you would still consider all of those things that we just considered, but um, you have to add in a couple more things. So pregnancy, obviously, and then when you're talking about pregnancy, so ectopic, um, and then a couple other things. Torsion, I think ovarian torsion is often thrown in there as, and, and that's kind of what you're deciding between, but torsion. And then um, if they are have fevers and, and very tender and look sick, then tubo ovarian abscess um, would be another possibility. And um, pelvic inflammatory disease, sometimes that can radiate pain over to that side as well. The males, it's easy to say, okay, do we need to get a CT or not? Um, but with females, I think we rely a lot more on ultrasound because it's pretty good at differentiating a, a little, you know, more for us there. So yes, I would agree. So the first part, I think for both of them, you're going to get some lab work. So a CBC, a metabolic panel, um, and a urine um, on both. And then with the females, you add in a urine pregnancy test. And and then you're deciding what imaging you need. With the males, um, I th at this point, we need to get a, a CAT scan. I think we are talking, you know, some of these people with a classic exam used to be able to take those right to surgery. Not happening as much because you're talking about a, a CAT scan versus surgery and the complications from a CAT scan being way less than a complication from a surgery. So we're usually moving to a CAT scan. Yeah. With females, I, yes, I do um, agree that you you need to do a, a pelvic exam first, and, and potentially that can help you localize exactly where the pain is. Does it seem more pelvic, or is it in the abdomen, um, which the appendix is pretty close there. But... Um, um, and then you're moving on to imaging with them. And I think a lot of times you need to start with a pelvic ultrasound. So you could, so pelvic ultrasound being one type of ultrasound that you potentially could pursue. But um, the question is always going to be as to is whether this is a, a, a gyne issue or a surgical issue. And so, and you need to rule out a torsion first. Um, and so a lot of times they'll get a pelvic ultrasound first. And then we're gonna um, consider and depending on where you are and who you're practicing with, and um, you could also consider a uh, ultrasound to rule out an appendicitis. So either you're doing it at, at the bedside um, or in radiology ultrasound. Um, but if we can, again, spare females the radiation, then especially as younger females, then that that's wonderful. Uh, but we're not always there. So if those are a negative and you still have a, an exam that's concerning, that's when I would move to CAT scan, um, even in the female. All right, so I think we covered right lower quadrant pain. Let's move over to um, suprapubic pain. Um, so, you know, we, we see this 
complaint quite commonly in young females. What what do you do? You just get a UA and you're on preg, send them home. What, what's your work up there? So I think it kind of depends on their appearance, their history, and their exam. So if they're coming to you um, and they look really well, normal vital signs, um, the belly is soft and not tender, and then they give you a story of they've had some burning with urination, they feel like they're peeing a lot, um, they feel like they have to pee all the time, and they. Um, and they've had this before potentially, then I'm testing the urine and, and seeing what, they, what it looks like. And, I'm, and based on that, I would assume that they had a, a urinary tract infection, um, confirming with test results and then treating appropriately. Again, you could examine them a couple times even after they urinate to make sure that they continue to have a benign belly and you, you aren't considering other things in your diagnosis of like pelvic inflammatory disease, cervicitis, um, things that we talked about, uh, torsion and TOA, that it's that we're talking about that benign patient with a good story. Yeah, I think this is a good point because we've all, you know, treated well-appearing females with um, dysuria um, and 30, maybe by their 30-hour visit for the same one, we do a pelvic exam, we realize that there's a retained, you know, tampon and we, you know, we feel bad for the patients, you know, so that to me asks the question, when, when, you know, for the patient who's just coming in with suprapubic discomfort and dysuria, are you doing a pelvic on all these patients or how do you decide? I'm not doing a pelvic on all of them. I think there are there are plenty who have a, a benign exam and a good story. I think you ask those questions like, do you have vaginal discharge or is your vaginal discharge different from um, what it usually is or, um, um, or are you having pain all the time? You know, like if it's if it's just dysuria and it's just pain when they urinate and then they're kind of uncomfortable, I think that points more to a urinary tract infection. If they're having um, pain all the time, I think that would point more to something else. You know, sometimes there's some overlap, but again, that's when I would more likely pursue it if they had um, discharge or, I mean, you know, new sexual partners, different sexual partners aren't using protection. Um, and it's kind of how concerned they are and then does the story fit. Yeah, so I think that residents, um, and I'll pick on my male colleagues, but often my... <laughs> they always look for a reason not to do a pelvic exam in a young female with lower abdominal pain. And I, ha I think that it's better to say that, you know, you don't always often need to do a pelvic exam for someone who has straightforward dysuria, it sounds mm -hmm. like a UTI, but I think you have to look for reasons that it would necessitate a pelvic exam. You have to look for reasons, of, you know, symptoms of cervicitis. You know, you have to look for those reasons because I think you could be doing a disservice and actually missing the primary diagnosis. Yeah, I agree. I think the sooner, as a resident, the sooner that you accept that you're going to do a lot of pelvic exams, and that's all right, and you don't try to get out of them, um, because I know there's a lot of there's a lot of research and there's a lot of things and there's a lot of reasons that people present not to do pelvic exams. But um, I hear that research and then I go and practice. I don't feel like the patients always know when they have vaginal... I've had plenty of cases where the patient doesn't realize that they have vaginal discharge and they don't realize that that's exactly where the pain is coming from. And when I actually do the exam, I've demonstrated that that there is infection there and this is where your your pain is coming from and so i, I don't fight that i feel like i did as an intern um and and then i lost that battle so many times and i learned that, and basically i saw how many um things that could be potentially missed and you get one story from the patient and then your exam would sure suggest something different so this agreed so <laughs> and i think this is a good example too that you know having a broad differential right upper quadrant pain turns into fitzhugh curtis um, you know, it's actually from their PID and their inflammation there. So I think, you know, we, as ER doctors, we, we can get a little narrow focus and we, you know, but it's always important with abdominal pain to ask those review of system questions 
even uh, you know someone with upper abdominal pain asking them symptoms of dysuria you know asking them you know are you having vaginal discharge mm -hmm. those questions become important and you know we, we can we, we can really help narrow our diagnosis too sure. sometimes we just get so pigeonholed so. have you seen Fitzhugh Curtis yeah you have yeah well I actually didn't do the lap to see it but I, I admitted somebody that I suspected for they had elevated liver enzymes uh -huh. um, but you know you don't get you have to tie it together you have to tie it together do, of yeah. the PID symptoms with the right of quadrant or right. you'll never do it right. and if it's never in your mind you are gonna miss it because mm -hmm. you just get you know so used to seeing the same thing over and over again um, you have to expand your differential so yeah. um, you know so basically we, you know we, we covered super pubic pain um, we talked about the importance of ultrasound um, we talked about the importance of, of making sure we take a thorough history um, and then let's move over to flank pain well I think we need to talk about males and this oh we forgot pain males as well yeah so, so what about the male pain. so I would think that so I'm more likely to I definitely do a testicular exam, a GU exam in these patients um, because there's um, there's not a good reason for for males, and we're talking about so young males definitely, uh, but even older males. Um, they're not just going to get urinary tract infections commonly. Now, like it can happen, but but not common. Um, and so there has to. So it's more likely that their source is going to be, um, you know, GU, right? And so um, and so in those, I definitely do a, a GU exam and make sure that um, to see if I can localize it. Is, is there any lesions? Is there a testicular swelling? Is there a testicular tenderness? Um, and I'm thinking about, especially in young males, I'm thinking about sexually transmitted infections. Um, um, more likely in these and then when you get into older males, I think you can just um, you can entertain I still do a GU exam and I still hold the potential that this could be a sexually transmitted infection But they are more likely to have uh, urinary tract infections yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing is the hernias, you know, the hernias mm -hmm. the yeah. torsions Yeah, um, you're not gonna pick up this without an exam. Yes. Um, yes, so I, I, I totally agree. Um, so I think we're done with super pubic pain. Okay. Um, so let's move over to uh, flank pain. Of course, we've got the left side, the right side. It does change your differential a little bit. But in general, what do we do with the flank pain? So um, again, kind of depend on their story and where exactly they're tender and what their exam's like. So um, when I'm looking at the flank, I'm thinking about pyelonephritis, kidney stone, and or is it radiation for something in the abdomen? So do you still have to consider your appendicitis, your cholecystitis, your ovarian torsion, like is it something that's radiating pain and it's just on the side? Um, and I'm trying to narrow those down. When you talk about older patients, I think you entertain the possibility again of a, of a AAA or an aortic dissection. So my, um, it, it kind of depends based on gender and age. And I think if you're talking about younger people, I'm more likely to go down the, to test it, get a urine sample, a, a CBC and a, and a metabolic panel again to look at their kidney function, white blood cell counts and urine, whether it's uh, there are signs of infections or signs of blood. If they have a positive urinary tract infection, they have, they have signs of positive UA, um, white blood cell counts elevated, the story seems they're tender on that side and pretty benign abdomen. Otherwise, I'm likely to think that that's a then pyelonephritis. And then I'm trying, so when I'm treating pyelonephritis is are they, um, I will give them a dose of antibiotics in the emergency department, treat their pain, treat their nausea, 
and then assess them after that. So if they are, if they can tolerate fluids, if they could take medication at home, they're hydrated. A lot of times they come in tachycardic. So have I got their um, heart rate down with fluids? Um, and are they, they safe to go home? So we're talking about that um, young to middle-aged female. A lot of times I feel like it's what this is. And, and so deciding whether they need to come into the emergency, I mean, come in, be admitted and have IV antibiotics or can they take uh, PO antibiotics at home? That's kind of my decision based on how they, how they look and how they respond to my treatment. If it is a kidney stone, so I'd say like the classic one is that, that sharp pain in the flank. Um, it may radiate kind of down to the groin and I've done the exam. I've, I've usually, they don't have abdominal tenderness. You know, I'm not looking, it's not, it's not that they're tender anywhere. They do have some, maybe some flank pain, but they're moving all around in the bed. Um, don't seem like they can get comfortable. I feel like a fair amount of these have a history. Um, so as a part of the workup, again, I'm getting a, a urine and a CBC, a, a metabolic panel, and then I'm kind of deciding on imaging. I would say, if it's their first episode, if it, if it sounds classically like a stone, if it's their first episode, or if they're older, um, then I'm more likely to get a CAT scan as opposed to if this is, if this is their, they've had proven kidney stones before, and I really wanna look at whether they have signs of hydronephrosis, and so then I'm more likely to get an ultrasound, either that bedside or a radiology um, ultrasound and assess for hydronephrosis by the ultrasound, but then look at their kidney function, make sure they have normal kidney function, or are they demonstrating signs of obstruction? You know, with the ultrasound, you're not gonna see the stone, um, but you're gonna see signs of obstruction by the stone, and that's the, the hydronephrosis. And so um, you have to decide what to do with those. Now, I've been a couple places, and so it kind of depends on where you are, I've, I've found out as to what is going to be done with these. And some urologists, are more likely to um, take, if they have a kidney stone, take them in um, into the hospital and do something about this stone. It seems like six millimeters is the cutoff that um, that has been decided of whether they can pass it or whether they can't pass it. Um, and so kind of based on that criteria is whether I'm talking to urology uh, um, and recommending that they come in or, um, or, or seeing that it's okay that they can follow up with urology. So, you know, so real quick, when it comes to flank pain, mm -hmm. a lot of this depends on age mm -hmm. and, and yes. kind of the history. Because if it sounds like, you know, if it, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if mm -hmm. it sounds like a stone, they've had a stone before, mm -hmm. or you convince it's a stone, it's one of those things where, can I use ultrasound? We yep. usually don't use ultrasound if they've never proven they can, they're a stone former. Mm -hmm. um, you could always check out me and Rob's um, podcast on ultrasound where we talk about renal ultrasound mm -hmm. um, because we talk about this approach. Um, but, but, when, but when is that cutoff of when you need to really expand your differential when it's not a stone? and it's flank pain. What are some of the diagnoses that really need to be on the top of your head? So I would, so especially when you're talking about older patients, and again, there's where I would lean more towards a CAT scan because you are considering other serious diagnosis like a AAA um, and a aortic dissection, or is this something like a diverticulitis or something that's really coming from the abdomen and radiating to the flank? Just recapping what you said, not everybody with flank pain gets a CT scan. Mm -hmm. um, some people have straightforward pyelonephritis, but you need to have a story that 
that fits that. Right. You need to have, you know, you can't have that borderline UA and, you know, something that, you know, they don't really have urinary symptoms. So mm -hmm. you need to look for something else if it doesn't fit the box. Right. So either going to be a, you know, you know, a UTI box, pyelonephritis box. It's either going to be a perfect kidney stone box. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that you, you want to make sure it fits that or, it's, or you don't want to miss the things that it could be, you know, it could be a topic pregnancy. It could be, you know, so many different things that, you know, you don't want to miss. So right. plank pain really has a wide differential. It does. But we, we lock into the kidney stone mm -hmm. um, that could kind of burn us. Mm -hmm. uh, let's move over from flank pain to left lower, everybody's favorite, left lower quadrant pain. All right. Um, I think the, the big part of the differential, so it kind of depends on age here, but so if you're talking about younger people, I think that's where, especially younger females, so you think about pregnancy and, and then torsion and tubovary abscess and um, things that could be on the left side. Um, and in younger males, I would think about, again, testicular torsion or urinary tract infection, um, something that's radiating from the testicles penis that's over to that side. And then, we, but more commonly, I feel like we see left lower quadrant pain in older patients where you would suspect things like uh, colitis, diverticulitis, and then you're pursuing those diagnoses. So um, I think diverticulitis is, is probably the um, top part of my uh, differential. I would throw in those other things that are more serious, like a, uh, well, not more serious, but AAA and aortic dissection, things serious that could radiate over to that side in the, in the older patients. Um, so my workup would include a, a CBC, a metabolic panel, um, and a UA, again, if they're female, um, a pregnancy, obviously they're older, um, than not, but, um, and then I would start to treat them assuming that it's, it, it is diverticulitis. So IV fluids and pain medication, and I'm, I'm likely to get a CT abdomen. We're talking about the older patients and we want to make sure with this, you know, if we're thinking it's diverticulitis, is there a signs of a perforation or abscess or something more serious with this? Um, and then you go off your, your lab and your CT findings. So if they have responded appropriately to treatment and their vital signs look good, their nausea is under control, their pain is and under control. It, this is if it shows diverticulitis, simple you diverticulitis. Have signs of diverticulitis, yeah. and, there, and it, it is simple. So there's inflammation, um, there's diverticular inflammation, inflammation of the bowel, but there's no signs of perforation, abscess, or something more serious going on. Then potentially those patients, they go home with antibiotics. If they are if they have other things going on. So if they do have signs of more complicated diverticulitis and perforation abscess, then those would need to come in the hospital and, and on IV antibiotics. Excellent, excellent. And I think it's important to realize that, you know, there's a lot of things we didn't cover. There's, you know, vague abdominal pain. There's not, you know, what's, what is the common presentation of, you know, mesoteric ischemia type pain? Yeah. Um, like we talked, said, constipation mimics all these things that we just talked about. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's Crohn's, there's ulcerative colitis. There's a lot of other mm -hmm. topics that kind of go into different um, areas. They go into, you know, you know, GI bleeding, they go into different things. So just make sure that this is just, this is just a general kind of split. Not everybody comes in with localized pain. Real quick, last closing thoughts or just some general polls that we talked about. Age. Age makes a oh, difference. Man. Yeah. Age makes a big difference. And I feel like um, I there should just be um, a good reason not to get a CAT scan in an older patient with abdominal pain. Their exams aren't reliable. Their labs aren't reliable. 
and and they have things. They have they're way more likely to have more serious diagnoses, and and we're more likely to miss something with a minimal workup. And so, in an older patient, um, and I feel like my age keeps going down and down as to what I consider older. Um, that um, I, I'm way more likely to get a CAT scan um, than I am in the younger patients. I get a cat. I get a CAT scan on you. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, mean, I think the, the reverse is true too. The younger patients, um, if your workup is, if, if you come out of a room and say for a younger patient in their 20s that you're getting a CT scan, you know, full blown abdominal labs, you need to have a reason for that. Definitely. Because a lot of times we need to actually start with ultrasound. We need to think a little bit more minimalistically. Um, they don't always need labs. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you have to kind of keep those in, in, in check, those two principles. Yeah. But they're just good, good general principles. Um, and then also, you know, gender makes a big difference here. Right. Um, you know, we don't want to we don't want to miss an ectopic pregnancy. It's mm-hmm. one of our can't miss diagnoses. Like in the same thing, you don't want to miss the flank pain that turns into the dissection. Mm-hmm. Don't miss the you know the, the ruptured ectopic pregnancy. Yeah, and I think we all have a very low threshold for getting a pregnancy test in a female with abdominal pain. In fact, I would um, you, you need a reason you not to. Already, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> missing organs or something that you need to have there. Right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Long, for joining us on this podcast on the general approach to abdominal pain. Uh, we look forward to uh, the next episode.